Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Fiction Theatre. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening. This episode is written by Callum McMillan, a good friend of mine, and is called Why I Want to Drink with Boris Johnson or The Entirely Predictable Trials of Being. Yes, it's a very long title and I don't really know how I'm going to tweet it. I'm sure Callum won't mind me describing this episode as a bunch of tat with a couple of cool one-liners. His words, not mine. I'm just preparing you. It was performed by Callum McGarva and was recorded live on the 29th of September at the Beacon Arts Centre in York. Enjoy! My own conflicts even leave me conflicted. I like the idea that they suggest some sort of depth, but in reality, their purpose is to force me to second guess everything. Unfortunately, guessing is something I've never gotten better at, even with all this practice. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the whiskey thing. It's such a cliche, and of course, the cliche about cliches is that they're cliches for a reason. The older I get, the more I think there's more to motivate with people's lack of imagination and less with the quality of the ideas themselves. But that might be because I'm struggling to remember the last time I had a good idea. Other than the whiskey in the morning, that is. That was truly inspired. There is no greater inspiration than the deconstruction of another's inspiration and then shamelessly adopting it yourself. I'm not sure my increased levels of cynicism have anything to do with the alarming numbers of grey hairs at my temples, but even if it doesn't, grey lends anything legitimacy. Like governments, increasingly populated by grey figures who lack the necessary depth of character to be considered shadowy, they positively scream legitimacy, even if they can't break through the volume of our own apathetic dissatisfaction, which is legitimate too, I guess. And also fear. But fear is legitimate. In fact, fear itself is legitimately terrifying. Obviously, that doesn't actually mean anything, but it sums it that has the potential to be devastatingly insightful with, with a bit of work. The tiniest amount of considered focus and ideas slowly ease themselves from potentials to certainties. But when you're indulging all the cliches, <laughs> Here's the time for that sort of thing. In fact, had I really thought this through, I'd have had some whiskey on hand to coincide with this latest piece of melodramatic and exhausting self-examination. But now that I'm into drinking it in the morning, it's become harder to hold on to the bottle. The full bottle, that is. <laughs> Empty ones are depressingly easy to find and I'm all out of ships to force into them. It's a shame there's not a better empty bottle metaphor that's relevant to this situation because that was the perfect setup. If we're giving up marks for things that are almost great, let's not do that. 
that lends far too many opportunities to the competition and threatens to undermine my own validation. It's a resource even more finite than oil and much more valuable. I'm dangerously close, we all are, to running out of that particular resource. It's been stolen from beneath our very noses, not by the lizard people, though the recent rise of UKIP has led to their very public exposure, nor by the Illuminati. And the state of the world is rather proof that nothing quite so organised exists, but by my own idiocy or idiosyncrasy. I always get those two mixed up. Chances are it's the former, though. It's the only explanation for how continuously confusing everything is. Insecurities shouldn't come with being this handsome or because they're there to balance it out. I've discovered that a bit of flip self-deprecation serves as a wonderful emotional crutch and a stylish one too. Like a cane with flames on the side and a diamond skull on the top. It's inherently disgusting, but in fact, it is just disgusting. It's a style that's not to everyone's taste and thank fuck for that. I had considered not swearing purely because my mother says those who swear lack vocabulary. In terms of pure numeracy, that's obviously wrong. In terms of practice, why think of another word when fuck will do? And it does do so wonderfully well. It features widely my own peculiar vernacular. I use it to express joy, hatred, despair, love, anything with extremes, really. Moderation and reason are both so tedious to maintain. Possibly, you'll recognise yourself in some of that. I do hope not. If I become the dubiously stained mirror with which you hold yourself up against, then you're more than likely in for almost as much disappointment as I am. <laughs> that all sounds terribly dramatic, I know, but when was the last time you ever experienced that that was beautiful, anything less than dramatic? If it's tragic as well, then that's even better. My tooth has always been more bittersweet than anything else. The only thing to satisfy that particular craving is by indulging your own sense of theatrics, which is a bit of a vicious circle, though that's an odd concept in itself. Circles aren't really known for their edges. And how is something dangerous with being so edgy you run the risk of being cut no matter how you hold it? Speaking of counting, <laughs> oh, it'd be so wonderfully romantic to count my sleepless nights, but I wouldn't need either of my hands to do that. I sleep wonderfully. I sleep dully. The logs parted with much ferocity than I've ever contemplated doing. The dichotomy seems unpeeling until you realise it's incredibly boring and time-consuming only person who has enough time to contemplate all these sudden shifts is Bernard and only then it's because he's got that fucking watch. I mean, what use is a pocket watch without a waistcoat anyway? The boy's a lunatic, worse, a lunatic who lacks flair altogether, whereas I, I have an abundance of flair. It's difficult to wax on lyrical but so many topics without it. Do you have any idea how tiring it is to pursue total self-indulgence while advocating the needs of the many? Rhetoric is such a wonderfully effective mask. Possibly that explains my fascination with the idea of drinking with Boris Johnson. 
Ideologically, I find him abhorrent, but I bet the banter is top-notch, even hashtag-worthy. Though, I imagine his verbose nature doesn't lend itself too well to 140 characters. Say what you want about eating in Oxbridge, their bastards are well-read if nothing else. In fact, the constant battle between my own sincere or sincerely well-practiced expressions and the logistical limitations of Twitter is almost as upsetting as war. In moments of particular inspiration, I'd say there's no form of heartache that's more acute. Except for those brief moments in your life where you have the taste of someone in your fucking mouth and you can't get rid of it. Or the taste of each other fucking in your mouth. That is quite possibly the worst. You can't save yourself from those, though. You certainly can't save anyone else. It's for those of us stupid enough to indulge our own superhero complexes a bitter disappointment. Though only half as disappointing is the realisation you're not enough of a hero to justify a cape. Especially not those ones that sell on ASOS. But without such memories, where would there be art? It's all romantic. Whether it's the romance of an idea, of an interaction, of a betrayal, or a reaction of how touching their skin made your own feel soft for the first time in years. It's all terribly romantic. And romance is only as intense as you let it be. I realise after getting this far, that's the, right, that's the idea that you're in control sounds preposterous. And you're right. It is. Because if you're going to be in control of everything, I'm not really sure what you're expecting to happen. It'll probably be nothing. It was incredibly tempting to run with the idea of nothing being something. It was another of those dangerous potential things. But without the freshly stagnant smell of romance, it's incredibly difficult to be insightful. At least not in the way that will make anyone react. And if they won't react, I can't bear the thought. Not for more than a few seconds. There's nothing romantic about indifference. Indifference is the one thing that smothers flames. Water only douses them. Which <laughs> is the benefit of whiskey or whatever your choice fuel for romantic thoughts is, it only lets them burn brighter, or gives the illusion of that anyway, which is almost as good and much easier to maintain. Much easier to maintain than this conversation with a blank page has been anyway. 2,000 words deep and nothing of any consequence has been said. People are so much easier to interact with. They buy into the ludicrous nature of self with so much more enthusiasm than paper or, or, or ink. Thank you for listening to another episode of Toasted Fiction Theatre. That was written by Callum McMillan and performed quite wonderfully by Callum McGarva. The digital copy of Toasted Fiction a collection of very short stories that nobody asked for is now available on the Toasted Fiction website. Head to www.toastedfiction.com where you can download your copy 
of the book, which is only one ninety nine, and you're getting 130 stories, ranging from comedy to drama to sci-fi to horror. Toast Fiction Theatre is also on Patreon, so if you want to support the podcast and help us continue to bring content to you, you can head over to Patreon and pledge what you can. Toast Fiction Theatre are also doing a show on the 13th of May. It's a full-length version of Fools on a Hill, which was the very first episode of this podcast. You can get your tickets on the Beacon Arts Centre website now. The link will be below, and it's £10, £12 for your tickets, and it's 8 o'clock on the 13th of May. So, till next time, thank you Callum, thank you Cameron, and thank you for listening. Bye-bye.